You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. If I don't know you, my name is Josh Barnett. I'm the, I'm the youth pastor here uh, at the church, and I'm excited about sharing with you. It's been a while since I preached, um, so if it's not good, it's Tim's fault. Um, blame him. I'm kidding. It'll be like riding a bike. We'll get back on it together. So... <laughs> Uh, this morning, I want to talk to us about unity. I want to talk to us about unity in the body, unity in the church. And, and I, I don't want us, I think sometimes we hear like, okay, yeah, like I know that we're supposed to be unified. I don't, don't, don't just brush it off. But I, like, this is, a, this is a really powerful, really deep thing that I want to talk about this morning. And actually, my title is The War for Unity. There's a war for unity. There's a war against our unity. And we have to make warfare against it for our unity. And so I want to talk about it this morning. There, there is a longing inside of all of us. There's a longing that God put on the inside of every human being, man, woman, and child ever born to be connected with other people. We were not meant to live life alone. We were not meant to do life without other people. I believe that we were created for deep, meaningful relationships. And you can see it in the world. You see people are drawn to clubs and teams and groups and, you know, especially it's college football season right now, so you see it even in, in sports. Um, we cheer for teams for universities that we didn't go to. And we don't know nobody that goes to that university. And we, and we refer to that team as we. My boys ask me all the time, are we winning, Dad? And I'm like, well, I'm not doing nothing. I'm sitting on my couch right now with my feet kicked up, eating a hamburger. They're doing something right there. They're winning. I'm not winning. But it, it's funny because we affiliate to these things like it's our to even you know you go out of state you see an Arkansas Razorback shirt in another state you're like what's up brother like yeah let's go like your family with that person they're wearing a shirt with a pig on it I mean <laughs> hey but that but that is in us there's this desire to have relationship with other people God put that there but what what we do is we try to find it in all of these wrong places it's okay to have community in your team. It's okay to have community in other places, but ultimately as believers, we are created to have unity with each other, the church under Christ. He is the head and we are the body and we're supposed to be knit together and nothing else, no other unity, no other community, no other team, no other group, no other organization is going to satisfy you. Those relationships will not satisfy you. The relationships in church are designed to satisfy you. We're not meant to do life alone, my introverts. Hello? Testify? I'm naturally an introvert until I get up here and then it just comes out. We're not meant to live on an island alone. Ezekiel verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So the Bible doesn't speak too highly about those who isolate themselves, those who try to live life alone. We see it in the very beginning of the garden. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. Let us. So we serve a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So even in God, he's one God, but he's three beings. And even in him, we see a community. 
We see a unity. We see relationship. And we were birthed out of that relationship. Let us. He didn't say, let me make man in our image. He said, make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. So we were birthed in an image of us, of our. And then you see Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. You see, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good until Adam is alone. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's not just talking about marriage. God was creating a family. It was never supposed to end with Adam and Eve. It was supposed to be children. And so it's not good for us to be alone. And then once, once Eve came, then it became very good. All the men said, amen. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. That was, y'all, man, y'all are in trouble. I got y'all in trouble already. No pot roast for you today. <laughs> but it's not just for marriage it's for for us we're supposed to have deep meaningful relationships see when you get born again you don't get hired at a corporation you get born into a family you don't get hired onto god incorporated you get born into his family you become his sons and daughters which means we become brothers and sisters come on <laughs> so we're supposed to have this community we're supposed to have this family and that doesn't mean that we, you know, tolerate each other. And, and, and God's not talking about a surfacey relationship. You know, just because we have connect groups or interest groups or a coffee shop doesn't mean that we have great community. Do we have biblical unity is what we need to be looking for. Community is awesome, but sometimes, sometimes churches make community their aim because they see that it grows numbers. And so sometimes churches want more butts and seats, and so they make a bunch of small groups. Small groups aren't bad, but small groups aren't the aim. Jesus is the aim. I love the coffee shop, but the coffee shop is not the aim. We're coming into the coffee shop so that we can fellowship with each other as believers under Jesus. Our connect groups are awesome. Man, throw a barbecue. I will be there, and I will bring all four of my kids, and we will eat you out of house and home. Come on. Got four hungry ones, and they're all eight and under, and they eat as much as me and Sarah do. It's crazy. I'll come to your barbecue, but the reason that we're gathering is not just to get together and sing kumbaya around a campfire. The reason that we're gathering is so that we can have unity under Jesus, so that we can be family. Listen, there are people in this room, there are many people in this room that I have no blood relationship to, that I have a much closer relationship to than my own family. How does that happen? It's because biblical unity is supernatural. It's incredible. I've met, I have met believers that, that have, are usually missionaries from somewhere else that I'll never see again, and I meet them, and I feel like I've known them my whole life. What, that supernatural unity that we are called to live. But there, we have to know there is a war on unity. The devil hates our unity. Actually, Charles Spurgeon would say, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is in his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly fellowship than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. The devil hates this this morning. And listen, we can disagree about mandates and lockdowns and isolation and all those things and social distancing, but, but we can disagree on those things, but we would both be fools to say that the devil is not at work in it. There is a spiritual warfare that is happening. There is spiritual warfare that is happening that is trying to isolate people and keep people away from each other and to make us afraid of even getting close to one another. 
It's spiritual warfare. There is a war on the unity of God's family. We have an enemy that is interested in dividing us as much as possible. The enemy is hard at work to divide your family, this family, our global church family. How many denominations are there in the world? Statistics they would say around 41,000 is their best estimate. 41,000 Christian denominations. I don't think God delights in that. And I think when we get to heaven one day, I don't think there's going to be a Methodist section and a Baptist section and a Pentecostal section and a non-denom section and a Church of Christ section. God bless you if you're Church of Christ, but I'm not coming to that party. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Gotta have a little worship music. <laughs> All right. It's fun. Our enemy is terrified of a unified family. He's terrified of a unified church because biblical unity has supernatural power. A unified church is the only thing that can bring healing, restoration, and redemption to a divided, hurting, broken world. And we can disagree on mandates and lockdowns and vaccines, but we would be fools not to see the enemy working hard to divide us and isolate us with these things. Since the garden, since the garden the enemy has declared war on our unity. He tore apart a family. He tore that family away from God. And since then, God has been at work trying to restore that family and trying to restore that relationship and trying to restore this planet. The enemy does this in many ways. One way is he tries to create like a pseudo community, a fake community, a church that resembles a sort of unification but's built, but is built on the shifting sands of culture. He uses social media to make this kind of placebo effect where we think we have community, but we really don't. I'm not anti-social media. I think social media is awesome, but don't, again, don't think that the devil's not trying to use it as well and is using it and makes us think that we're close to people that we're really not close to. And perhaps his greatest weapon is that he makes us care more about what somebody's doing six hours away than somebody that lives six minutes away. Or we care more about what somebody's doing six hours away than somebody that's in the next room. So many churches make, like I said, they make community the aim. I, a buzzword that I hear a lot is like, you've got you to have diversity. Diversity. We're going to champion diversity. Diversity isn't the goal, friend. Jesus is the goal. We gotta have people of different colors sitting together. We gotta have people of different backgrounds sitting together. We gotta have people for different cultures sitting together. We gotta have people whatever. That's all fine and great, but Jesus is the goal. Diversity is not the goal. Unity is the goal. And if you aim at Jesus, it will be a byproduct. It will happen. Because then people will come in and we won't judge them based on their skin color. And we won't judge them based on their bank account number. And we won't judge them based on their age. It will just happen because we're all unified under Jesus. Come on. I, listen, I, even, I see this in churches too with age. We treat young people a certain way or we treat old people a certain way. And we do things that run off all the young people because they're different than us. Or we do things that run off the old people because they're different than us. God is looking for like a synergy, a unity in generations. He doesn't want us to be divided. Man. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says, In this new life, it does not matter if you are Jew or Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Man, that's hard. Make allowances for each other's faults. That's really hard. And forgive anyone who offends you. Please forgive me. <laughs> Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. He says something similar in Galatians chapter 3. All who have been united in Christ in baptism have put on Christ, putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We've got to have a diverse culture. No, we live in a better culture called the kingdom. And it overrides every other culture of the world. Come on. You don't need diversity training. You need to read your Bible. We have to war for unity. We have to fight for unity. True biblical unity. It's not unity for the sake of unity. For true unity to be, be obtained, there has to be warfare made by the people of God. Spiritual warfare. For peace to happen, war oftentimes has to take place. For peace to happen, war oftentimes is necessary. Make no mistake, we the church as a whole are in the midst of the greatest spiritual warfare of our lifetime. Maybe not the greatest spiritual warfare of all time, but of our lifetime. We're in the midst of it. Make no mistake, the Lord is using this time to sift through his church to separate the wheat from the chaff and the sheep and goats. I know this is a sermon about, about unity, but understand that biblical unity is inherently divisive because biblical unity doesn't draw lines in the sand. It draws lines in concrete. And this is hard. This is hard because we want to love everybody, but love does not affirm sinful behavior. Love without truth is not love. True biblical unity actually can be clearly defined. The Bible is clear on who and what we're supposed to be unified with. The Bible is clear on who and what we're supposed to be unified with. And any woke or progressive church that's preaching Jesus and is nothing that we're going to be unified with. Jesus and you have to do all these things in order to obtain salvation, they are no longer serving Jesus. That's not me. That's Galatians. Read the book of Galatians. Very harsh. Paul gives them a spanking. But Jesus and you have to do all these things to obtain salvation is a doctrine of demons. Charles Spurgeon said it is well that we should understand this. We are to be first pure, then peaceable. Our peaceableness is never to be com compact with sin or an alliance with that which is evil. We must set our faces like flints against everything which is contrary to God and his holiness. That being in our souls a settled matter, we can, go, we can go on to peaceableness towards men. However, peaceable we may be in this world, yet we shall be misrepresented and misunderstood. And no marvel, for even the prince of peace 
by his very peacefulness brought fire upon the earth. Our peaceableness cannot be aligned with sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 says, uh, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Well, Jesus wouldn't be that way. Really. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 to 39 he says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Prince of Peace said that. Not Josh. That's the red letters. He's not your guru that tips those to the daisies. He's your Lord and your Savior. He's the king of his kingdom. He sets the rules, not me. Not us. I came not to bring peace, but a sword, he says. I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And this one hits close to home. Because following Jesus has cost me really close relationships. And a spiritual sword is brought. And they hate Jesus. And they sometimes hate me. And want no unity with me. But it's only when you're willing to make those sacrifices that you can know what true peace is. There's no peace without war. There's no peace without war. We as the body, we're united under Christ. He's our head. We unify around Jesus. This is biblical unity. We unify around Jesus, not causes, not missions, not churches, not personalities, not movements, not worship. We unify under Jesus. Unity around anything else is not true biblical unity and it will have devastating consequences if we unify around personalities if we unify around worship movements if we unify around anything other than the name of jesus it will have devastating consequences division should not be normal in the body of christ but there are churches pastors people who are saying they are followers of christ but their fruit would prove otherwise and we will not unite for unity's sake some division must take place in order for true unity to take place. Unity is built on the basis of truth, and that truth is God's word. J.C. Ryle says to keep gospel truth in the church is more important than keeping the peace. To keep gospel truth in the church is more important than keeping the peace. Peace without truth, he says, is a false peace. Peace without truth, he says, is of the devil. You'll be hard-pressed to find messages from the prophets, messages from Paul, messages from Jesus himself that did not cause some division. Because Jesus and the prophets and Paul and all the writers of our Bibles, they were not writing so that they could have unity and peace and love and sing John Lennon songs with the world. 
Imagine all the people that, that song is that song sounds sweet, but it's it's demonic. It's not true unity. We are not meant to have unity with the world. We are not called to be unified with secular man to obtain worldly goals. Listen, it, it, listen, if you're far from Christ, I want you to know this morning that you can be brought near to Christ. If you're not in this family, I want you to know that you can be in this family. But, but, but this sermon is for the people of God. This is not, I'm not preaching on a street corner, I'm preaching in our church. So if we need to say a prayer with you, we absolutely will. And we want you to come into this family. And we want you to be filled with the Spirit. And we want you to be on this, this road to holiness with us. We want sanctification to take place in your life. We definitely want that to happen. But I want you to know there will be no unity between this church. There will be no unity between this church or my family with a church or any government administration that thinks it's okay to murder unborn innocent babies. It's not going to happen. There will be no unity with a, with a church or a pastor or a leader or an administration or a politician that is trying to build an LGBTQ agenda. There's not, it's not going to happen. No unity with any government or church organization or school or anything that affirms a transgender reality. And listen. And listen, if, you're, if you are struggling with any of those things, it, th I'm, this isn't, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to attack anyone. But I want you to know that the love of God will set you free. And there are things that this, that this Bible says that are not okay. That is, this is the inerrant word of God. And I know that's hard because I know that we know people and we have people or you and yourself, maybe you're struggling, but I want you to know that you can come into this family and we can help you struggle. We can help you struggle. A gospel that doesn't set people free from sin is not the gospel. I didn't need a gospel that was going to leave me bound. Grace doesn't leave you bound. Grace sets you free. And this may sound unloving to you, but I want you to know it's not unloving. It's, it's because we, we here at this church, we believe that, that, that by the outlines of this book, like this shows us the way to life, real life with everything in me. Like I believe that if you follow Jesus, that you will have the most amazing life possible and not based on your circumstances, but based that the Holy Spirit's going to come live on the inside of your heart and you can experience heaven on earth. But it's got to be clear where we stand. Now, I'm grateful that we have a pastor in Pastor Tim where it's very clear where we stand. And I would say, listen, anybody that's here, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're from out of town, maybe you're watching on live stream or whatever, if it's not clear where your church stands, I would find another church. I'll bless you with that. You don't have to come here. Just come to a church where it is clear. 
Peace at the cost of compromise is not peace with God, but peace with the devil. And side note, Psalms 94 verses 20 and 21 says that if you basically, if you support governing bodies that condemn the shedding of innocent blood, you make fellowship with them. And no judgment on past. Let's move forward. But if we vote for government officials who shed innocent blood, we are making fellowship with, with evil. You're making fellowship with evil. John, in John 17, Jesus says that his disciples are no more of this world than he is of this world. No more of this world than he is. That means they're no more. That doesn't mean like that they're gonna, sometimes I feel like that verse gets kind of misconstrued. It's like, okay, well, we're just waiting to get to heaven. We're just waiting to die and go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, Lord, they are no more aligned with this worldly system and a part of this worldly system as I am. That's what he's saying there. If we, we, we cannot align with worldly values, we, we're not called to bear fruit the, the, that the world bears. How can we who are not of this world think it's okay to align ourselves with the world? Jesus taught us this world is going to hate you. But take heart because it hated him first. But there, there are lots of pastors. You've got to be careful who you listen to. You've got to be careful who you watch. You have to be careful what churches that you're following. I know that we live in this, this age where we have access to all these movements across the world, but you've got to be careful that you're not getting sucked into a doctrine that is, does not align with Jesus. You've got to be careful about what you're listening to because it, because it comes in like a leaven. It comes in small, and over time it will begin to grow, and it will begin to push your heart in the wrong direction. You've got to be careful. And we, we, you've got to... It's like we, we so wanted to, um, we so want the world to not hate us that we begin to compromise on things. And we begin to think, well, like, well, if you'll, you know, if we'll just align with this and maybe it'll, they'll, they'll think that we love them and then maybe that they'll, then maybe they'll change and come back. No, you're changing. That, that is changing with the world. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to, we love them. Yes. We pray for them. Yes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But the, the next verse says, Blessed are you who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. The world is going to hate you. It's going to detest you. The spirit of the world. People that are being run by the spirit of the world. Don't think it odd that somebody doesn't like you. Don't think it odd. Well, I just love everybody and I just care about everybody and just whatever. Well, if you're following Jesus, you can love them till your heart hurts. You can weep for them. I think that you should and you should pray for them. You should intercede for them. But understand, you can do all those things and you can wash their feet and they'll still go out and get you crucified. James 4.4 4 says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So there's this true biblical unity that we are called to align ourselves with. And it's with Jesus. It's under Jesus. It's under his rule. It's under his ways. There is one way to the Father, not many. Not many. How do we battle for this? How do we fight for this? How do we make war for this unity under Jesus? The first thing 
is you have to have personal unity with Jesus. You have to have personal unity with Jesus. You cannot be divided in yourself and be united with other people. James says that a double-minded way is un- a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so if you are double-minded, if you're not completely sold out to this, or if, you're, or if we're hypocritical, you know, if we're one way in front of our church family and then we're this way in front of our friends, or we're one way here and we're this way at work and we're, you know, we're, we, we're a hypocrite or we're changing masks, you're not united with Jesus. You're not united under him. And so, so if we're all split, if we're all two or three different people and we're all trying to come together and unite, that's going to be really dysfunctional. We have to be whole. We have to be single-minded. Once we're single-minded, then we can unite with other single-minded people. That's it. And then we become, then we become one. I love God's math. One plus one equals one. <laughs> Married people, you're one with your spouse. It, listen, sometimes, sometimes marriages they end in divorce and people split up, it's because there's somebody in that relationship that may not be one in themselves. And they're trying to join with someone else and become one with that person. You're going to have issues. It's going to be really hard. All my single people in the room, if you're looking to get married, you, you need to work on is making yourself one. Making yourself one. So we have to, we have to have personal unity with Jesus. We have to abide. We have to have that relationship. We have to remain. We have to be with him. The second thing is we have to have intentional unity with others. Intentional unity with others. This is the part my introverts are going to hate. Like, yes, unity with Jesus. I can do that. I'll be in my prayer closet. Let's go. Wait, you want me to come to church? Connect group? Huh? Go to somebody's house. People I don't know. Ugh. You have to be intentional. You have to intentionally unify yourself with other people. You have to go after these relationships. Go to your connect group. Come to the coffee shop. Come talk to people. Use your words. I'm natural. Listen, Tim and I both are naturally introverts. I know when we get up here and we just vomit on people. But when Tim and I go to lunch, we kind of just look at each other awkwardly. What do you say? I don't know. I'll just be with you. Quality time. Quality time. Go to Listen, when you come in here, be friendly. Well, this church wasn't really friendly. Well, you're here. Well, nobody talked to me. Who did you talk to? Well, Josh, you didn't talk to me after service. I'm chasing four kids in four different directions. I set Ezra down for a second, and he is gone, buddy. My goodness, we had to hold him screaming last night because it was a sea of people. He was so mad that he had to be held the whole time. So, like, after church is over, I'm like, where, one, two, three. Austin, where's my other kid? Somebody's like, you know your kid's in the parking lot. Oh, dang it. I would love to talk to you. You might have to make an appointment with me, but I would love to take, talk to you. This church isn't friendly. Nobody talked to me. Did you come after the first song started and leave during the closing prayer? I love you. And listen, I told Lucas to wear his steel-toed boots today because I was bringing a sledgehammer. Um, I, listen, I love you, but you don't blame us 
If those are kind of some of the habits, I want to help you. Proverbs 18.24 says that a man, with, a man has many friends because he shows himself friendly. Friendly. And listen, we're doing, we're doing all that we can. We're trying to do connect groups. We're trying, I would love to get to a place where we don't have to do connect groups. Connect groups, we're just trying to facilitate something for us because apparently we're all too dysfunctional to be friends. I bless you with that. Listen, it's, it's, we, you have, we got our little, we got our interest group sometimes. They're weird to me. Like, I, listen, it's not hard for me, maybe hard for you. It's not hard for me to ask another grown man to go shoot guns or to go hunting or to get on a motorcycle or to whatever. Like, I don't need somebody to organize that for me. But we're doing these things to teach us how to live in relationship with each other. I'm not anti these connect groups or interest groups, but the goal is maybe one day we won't have to do it. Wouldn't that be awesome? But if we would all show ourselves friendly, if we would all be intentional about being unified. And listen, sometimes it's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be kind of strange. Like, I have teenagers come. They're like, well, I, you know, it's hard for me to get plugged in. I don't really know anybody there. Well, come more than once. <laughs> My goodness. Is Bergen here? Where's Bergen? My goodness. Bergen moved in here, and she just started coming to everything, and she wouldn't go away. <laughs> My goodness. Man, I think about, I think about, I'm going to call them out. They probably won't want me to. But I think about Josh and Nathan Parks, man. They just moved here from Colorado. And they're like, dude, they're already like fitting in and have lots of friends, but it's because they come to stuff. Was it awkward the first few times they came? Yeah. Nobody, nobody really talked to them, except for me, the old weird guy. But they kept coming, and now they got friends. It's like, well, it's really, it's, I know it's grimy, it's gritty, it's messy, it's awkward to meet new people. But if we come in and if we, if we love each other, the way that we're called to, if we unite under Jesus and realize, you know what? Our personalities might be different. Our interests may be different. We may be into different. Brandon Tryon is one of my best friends, and he's one of the weirdest guys I know. <laughs> and he thinks I'm weird. But we have this beautiful, amazing relationship because we sought a friendship with each other. And listen, as we do that, as we pursue that, we get, into, we get into a place where we begin to get past the surfacey and we get into deep, rich fellowship with each other where you begin to feel like family. We, my married people, you all went on dates. It was awkward the first few times you dated for sure, but now doing life with your spouse is just natural. It's just like they're my best friend, they're whatever. Same thing with friendships. We just have to do this. We have to get past this. We have to talk to people. We have to pursue these relationships. And as we do that, we then come into a place where we help each other struggle. We come into a place where, where, where I am with, with Brandon and Jason and Lucas where they know that they can call me out if I'm not living the life I'm supposed to be living. I'm in a place with Brandon, Jason, and Lucas where I can be vulnerable with them where I can share, hey man, I'm struggling with this. I need you to help me. And I'm not going to be rejected by them. They're going to speak life into me. And they may wound me sometimes. But better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Not last thing, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. Last thing, 
We have to have unity with Jesus. We have to be intentional about our unity with the church. The third thing is we have to guard this unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, I, prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient, patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowances for each other's faults. Making allowances for each other's faults. People are going to have different personalities. They're going to have different opinions. They're going to have different preferences. That doesn't mean that you just get to chunk the deuce on them and see you. My goodness, I work with Paul Kern and Tim Brooks. I've got this one written on my mirror in the morning. Lord, please give me strength to make allowances for their faults. Help me, Lord. I'm kidding. Kind of. <laughs> Each other's faults. Because of your love, make every effort. Some translations say guard. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Listen, biblical unity doesn't mean we're all going to think exactly the same thing about every little thing. It, mean, it means we're going to think the same about the, same, the main thing. The main thing. We're probably going to disagree on the end times. There's about 18 different theories out there. Goodness gracious. I kind of agree with Tim. Today we're closer than we were yesterday. And we're ready, right? I wish we all did. You know that song? My 90s people? It's a miracle that anybody got saved in the 90s. I just want to be honest with you. It was bad. It was bad. We're probably... Listen, you think I'm weird because I speak in tongues. I think you're weird because you don't. Maybe we agree that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died on the cross to forgive me of my sins and set me free. He rose again three days later so that I could have resurrection life. If we can agree on that, hey, man, we're good. Hang around me long enough. And then if you hang around me long enough, you'll start speaking in funny languages too. We're going to disagree on worship songs. We're going to disagree on things like predestination. We're going to disagree on... But these things, those are non-essential to our faith. They're non-essentials. One of my favorite quotes is, unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials, charity or love in all things. We have to agree on Jesus being the Son of God. We agree that we all sin. We all have to repent and receive forgiveness. We agree that we all are supposed to love God and love others. Salvation comes by faith and not by works. We all should agree that our great commission, that our mission in life is to make disciples of all nations. If we agree on the essentials, guess what? We're family. Now don't walk out on family because you didn't like my tone today. Don't walk out on family because you disagreed with one line. Don't throw, the, don't throw a book away because there was one chapter in it, one paragraph of one chapter that you didn't like. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually the members of it. Let's close with this. John chapter 17. Maybe the most important passage in all of Scripture. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Night before, or the morning that he's about to go to the cross. <clears throat> And this is what he prays. And I, I don't want us to think that, oh, like, oh, yep, it's a cute little sermon on unity. We move on. 
This is what he prayed before he went to the cross. This is what he was praying while he was sweating drops of blood. So don't let something silly come in between us. Don't let something that's non-eternal separate us. Verse 20, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all of those who would believe me in me through their message. So he's praying for us. He's praying for you and me. One of my favorite verses, just, just to bless you with, is when Peter says something dumb again, and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you, but I prayed for you. Come on. And he's praying for us too. He's so good. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. That's some oneness, buddy. That we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. They're one God. And that we would, be, we would have a, un, a unity like that. i got some work to do. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be, may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Come on. That they would experience such perfect unity that they would know that the world that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them like you love me. You love them like you love me, that the world would look in and go, wow, Jesus is real and the Father sent him and the Father loves that group of people like he loves his son. I want to be a part of that. The world is looking for community. The world is looking for unity. The world is looking for a real love and we're not going to have it if we're backbiting, gossiping, slandering, running each other down, getting divorces over silly things, leaving churches over the carpet color and what song we played and good grace, we weren't worshiping you today, we were worshiping Jesus. Don't ever worry about the song list. Come on. Or the, or the person sat in my seat today. Or when I came in, nobody talked to me today. Come on. If a church is acting like that, the world would go, why do I want what they have? They look just like me. But man, what if we could be united? What if we could be united as the Father and Jesus are one? Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Lord, we worship you. We honor you today. Lord, we're so grateful that you sent your son Jesus. You sent your son Jesus to this world to show us what you look like, to reveal to us how much you care about us, to show us the way in which we're supposed to live, to show us the kingdom that we get to be a part of on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to be unified on earth like we would be unified in heaven. Help us to experience such perfect unity that the world would look in and go, I want that, I need that, God must be real because there's something supernatural about that. Lord, let us come together with such perfect unity that just like the church in Acts where nothing was going to be impossible for them. Lord, we take up our crosses. We follow after you. Lord, we forgive those who have hurt us. We forgive those who have slandered. We forgive those who have gossiped. We forgive those who have hurt us in church before. God, we don't, we don't hold anything against anybody. We wash it off right now, God. We forgive them like you forgave us. We forgive them like you forgave us. 
Lord, help us to stand arm in arm with each other to make warfare. Lord, show us maybe the places in our hearts where we are not unified with you, that we are not single-minded, that we are not one. Show us the places in our hearts where maybe, uh, where maybe worldly ideologies have snuck their way in. Reveal those things to us. Get us back to the Bible. Give us a love for the Scripture. May when we come together, God, may we, not, may we not rally around a team or a cause or a mission, but we would rally around Jesus. We would unify underneath you, God. We would have what true godly fellowship looks like. Lord, I ask that every single person in this room would feel your love, that they would know that you see them, that you value them, that you care for them, that you want them to be your sons and daughters, that you desire a closeness and an intimate relationship with them. Lord, help us to shine bright for you. Help us to shine for you that as we leave this place, that Christian Ministry Church will be a lighthouse because of our unity, our unity that is built on our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.